How to Be a Rebel Leader is a show about individuals who raise organizations to new levels by challenging the status quo, pushing for change, and fighting for their beliefs. Hear stories of their journeys to success and the passion it took to get there. This is How to Be a Rebel Leader. I'm Marcelo Lobo. On today's show, the story of Brazil's first search-funded, Lisandra. Lisandra has faced so many challenges as a pioneer of the search fund model in Brazil, but her struggles have been worth the work. She recently acquired a company just two years since earning her MBA at Booth. She is now the CEO of a healthcare company in Brazil and is loving running a small business. Lisandra has a relentless drive, genuine positivity, and seems to truly enjoy her life. Check out this episode. So, Lisandra, thank you so much for being here with me today and doing this podcast. Please tell me a little bit about a little bit about your life, where you're from. So, we are here in Brazil, Porto Alegre, and I was wondering, were you born here or were you born somewhere else? And what's your story? Sure. Uh, thank you again for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to you uh, and tell a little bit about my story. So I'm from Juiz de Fora, Minas Gerais, uh, and we're up south, well, we're, we're down south in Porto Alegre now. I moved here after I acquired Sulab Diagnosticos about three and a half months ago, so it's pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Um, up until then, I was searching. So I searched for uh, two and a half years before completing this acquisition. Awesome. And where did you go to school? I went to school uh, to Instituto Tecnológico de Aeronáutica. It's an engineering school uh, in Sao Paulo. I graduated in uh, aeronautics, mechanical engineer, um, back in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> so I then went to work for a consulting company for Roland Berger. Uh, it's a ger- German Firm. And I did that for a little more than a year. Uh, and then I started to long for something a um, little less theoretical, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to uh, think about you know, entrepreneurship and what, how, how would that be... Um, So I started to research some startups. I didn't have an idea back then. I just had the the wish to do something entrepreneurial. Where do you think that wish was born? Do you have parents that were entrepreneurs or relatives? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, my, so my parents uh, don't have a college degree. Um, I think it came from just, you know, working too much and not being happy about it. Mm. And I felt like I wanted to make the job I liked happen uh, and you know since early on I was really not happy doing something that you know it wasn't um, wasn't fulfilling and in a consulting job you get very good at you know some specific tasks like analysis <laughs> 
building a beautiful presentation <laughs> um, and, it, and it's great and it really uh, teaches you how to work, how to, to frame your thoughts. Uh, but also I mean, th that is uh, an intense, uh, there are intense hours and when you work a lot and you don't like it, you, you know it pretty fast. Oh, so, <laughs> I so I was yeah. so I was unhappy about it, and then a manager told me, you know, if you liked your job, you you wouldn't even see the hours, and uh -huh. I thought he was crazy. Like, <laughs> there is no way I would always see the hours. <laughs> right. But how many it, hours were you working? Uh, over sixteen every day. Wow. And I was filling every hour. So some days like some days 20 and that's why I thought I mean no I mean I would feel anyway but it got me thinking and that's mm. why you know I started to think about okay in which job I would not see the hours passing <laughs> uh, and that, that's what got me thinking into entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship has a lot about making the job you want mm -hmm. um, And also, you know, and what, what was important to me, making the culture you want to be. Mm -hmm. So that's what got me into Groupon. And then, so I started in, as head of business intelligence, which was much alike my consulting job. But then I mean, six months into the job, I started to feel the same things. And then I volunteered for a job as city manager of my hometown so there was an opening and it was a sales job and i had never sold <laughs> any anything formally in in, yeah. in my life before um so in that sense was a big leap for me uh groupon was also a very um aggressive culture right yeah in the sense that they fired people very quickly When and also this? promoted quickly. What um, year was Brazil? I mean, it was 2011. And when did Groupon start in Brazil? I think 2010. It was in early days of Groupon in Brazil. Oh, God, I say you were like one of the first employees, I guess. I think Groupon already had uh, 50 employees. Okay, yeah. And then when I left, was already like... Three or four hundred. Yeah. And I stayed for, I think, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So it grew pretty quickly. Um, and, and I mean, but it, it had a pretty aggressive culture. I felt like going to war every day. Going to war? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, in order to protect your team, you had to fight a beer. It felt like you had to fight with all the other departments and, oh. and everybody was you know, defensive about mm -hmm. everything. But it was a great school in the sense that it gave me opportunities that I would hardly get elsewhere. Uh, so for example, I took over a city with a little bit more than a year of experience in, in consulting. Mm -hmm. like, and there was a manager, a sales manager in my hometown with no sales experience. Mm -hmm. So pretty risky in that sense. Um, yeah. But very it, entrepreneurial, I would say. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking, looking back, it wasn't easy. Like I was very 
frightened of the move and mm-hmm. I almost regret a couple times before actually, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after I said yes. <laughs> I bet. Uh, uh, but it was great. I mean, something was moving myself towards that. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to, you know, make myself do things that I'm a little bit afraid of. Mm but that I know I should be doing. Interesting, getting out of that comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, and to be honest, today I'm a little bit addicted to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, So I know that you went to Booth, the Chicago School of Business. Is it Chicago Business School, Chicago School of Business? Uh, University of Chicago Booth. School of Business, yeah. Got it, thank you. Because, you know, I, I go to Kellogg, so I don't really know anything about Booth. <laughs> Just kidding. And I know you went to Booth, so what made you quit Groupon and decide to get an MBA? Yeah, so things at Groupon prog- progressed very well. So after that fir- first sales job, uh, I in- increased revenue like a doubled revenues in my hometown and, mm-hmm. and it was very quickly it was like six weeks um and i stayed there for six months stabilized the city and then um assumed salvador um not assume like took over mm-hmm. salvador and then a larger team of uh, eight people increased revenues by 75 percent by by then i was very impressed with um, the challenge of being a sales manager because you know in a smaller team you can actually do all the sale okay. and that was the case in my hometown uh-huh. in salvador i had to train people to do the sale for me because it was too big to do by to yourself, handle all yeah. the negotiations and i enjoyed that a lot and after salvador i went to sao paulo to, to take over Sao Paulo West and also to implement the first inside sales team of Groupon, which increased our productivity in closing contracts. What do you mean by inside sales? So back then, all contracts were closed in face-to-face oh, meetings. Oh, got it. And that was very time-consuming, especially in a city like Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. By implementing teams that were closing contracts by phone, and that was a big shift in mentality in Groupon. Like in my first meeting with my team, there were people leaving the the room crying because they thought they were being demoted. It was a big, uh, oh, <laughs> big wow. cry out. But things worked pretty well. Like two months after we did the change, they were making much more money. And by much more, I mean like four times more money because they were being effective and closing better contracts. Instead Mm of one and a half contracts a a week, my team were closing five a week. So they they were more productive and therefore making more money. And then we rolled it out for the whole country. So after that, I was very happy with my function, which was sales, but not as happy with the culture. Like I was, I still felt I was going to war every day. And that's when I started to think back on my entrepreneurial um, desires. Right, that burning desire that was there and you just had to yeah. put it aside. 
because I then had figured out that a job that was challenging and a job even if I was I was very good at it mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to keep me you know waking up every day you know powered up excited excited to to do well I needed something else like I needed some sense of purpose I needed I need to feel like it was mine mm. that I, I could influence it that, that it reflected what I believed do you have your core values very clear or do you think you're still I think I do I think I do like I'm um Things that are important to me, they're very important. Like it's very important for me to be fair and to be predictable. Mm. I I like to lay out the rules, and uh, I feel very strongly that I need to abide by the rules and you know to mm-hmm. uh, be predictable to people so they know what to expect. And in, 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 this, yeah. in that sense, you know, we agree on something and then we do what we agreed upon. Is, is that how your parents raised you? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that your parents uh, didn't have a college degree. Um, how, how, how did you get into the hardest school and college in Brazil? Because it's ITA, right? Yeah. That's literally the best college that you could get into. <laughs> Uh, and now you're you went to the number one school I think according to Business Week the ranking I'm not sure which ranking it is but Booth is also the number one MBA school. One, what are they? What do your parents say about your journey? Um, so my mother was a big figure in um, my raising, um, and although she doesn't have a college degree, she. I mean, if you ask her, she won't have an answer for it because people often ask and she doesn't know what she did right. Uh, but what she did right was um, she never told me I could not and she uh, never in- she always incentivized everything I wanted to try. Mm-hmm everything and she would do everything in her power to make that possible even though uh, we we were not a family of uh, of means so it, it was um, it was always a struggle for her especially because my father was unemployed for most of my my childhood oh, really? so she had to uh, raise uh, myself and my sister um, by herself Uh, financially mm-hmm. um, she never she never not supported any 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 wish any thing we wanted to be you know she, yeah. she never told oh you are you sure can you do it like those those were never words that she would say and uh, she would do everything in her power mm-hmm. so we would have the time we needed to study. Sounds like a very supportive mother. She is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that point, I think we talked about this question earlier uh, before we started recording. Um, do you think that you have a hero 
Yeah, I think guiding, it would yeah. Be, yeah, yeah, so it would be my mother yeah. because I, I don't I don't even think she realizes it. Mm-hmm. And w- w- what I think is best about her, uh, she did all that without even realizing it, just you know by by being there and being present. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me more about your time at Booth, and I know you did an internship with a search funder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how did that influence your decision to start a search fund here in your home country in Brazil? Yeah, uh, Booth had a huge impact in my decision. Um, I went to my MBA and, with the idea of being an entrepreneur, and I tested out two options, and uh, Booth afforded me the opportunity to test it out both. So in the first year, I was doing my startup, my education startup, that ended out not working out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then in my first quarter at Booth, I attended a lecture um, from Jim Southern from Pacific Lake, and he laid out very... Sim- with a lot of simplicity in a whiteboard, a simple mathematics of how the search fund worked. Mm-hmm. And it was myself and 60 other people in that classroom. And I, he, he was describing how, you know, first you find investors and then you raise the money and then you have enough to pay yourself a salary and go find a good business to buy. And then you go get the money from those investors to buy the business and then you become the CEO of that business mm-hmm. and you get equity when you perform and I was like that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I know right because at uh, that time mm-hmm. I was you know doing my startup and I didn't have money or time or people or, or all the knowledge mm-hmm. and suddenly there it was an opportunity, a structured opportunity where I would have time to do one step at a time, and then at the end I would be at you know that position where I envisioned myself mm-hmm. in a CEO chair, being able to uh, build the culture I believed in, and you know have a company to run. And I was like, yeah, but it can't, I mean, it can't be. <laughs> it, was too, it sounded too good to be true. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, so I went to learn more about it, did an internship with, um, at Raptor Technologies mm-hmm. uh, with, with Jim Westerman. Uh, and that was what made me decide like just being able to compare both experiences the startup like working for a start well the, the three experiences working for a startup doing my own startup and then seeing Jim in his CEO role uh, running a small company very successfully and there was you know a beauty on it on just seeing something that existed uh, and that you could grow from it okay and i uh identified myself 
with it with it because mm-hmm. that I knew how to do that that, that was similar to my uh, role in sales ah. you have something that exists that a product that people like and you know what's okay. good for you like you don't mm-hmm. have to find product market fit anymore and then you just grow it right. and, and yeah. for me it's like was like okay I can do it I know how to do that that part mm-hmm. um, and that's why you know in the search fund model the phase I was most excited about was the running the company phase right that's really interesting uh, so you think that your internship empowered you to then go ahead and start. I mean, what did you do after that? Like, what were the after you were done with your internship? So, I went back to Booth. Uh, my husband was also at Booth with me, and we were uh, trying very hard to synchronize our careers. Right. Um, and when I so I came back to Booth with the. Uh, my startup not having worked out and the experience in my search fund, uh, Brazil was at a terrible moment at mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. and I was trying to raise my Brazilian investors. Okay. Which I was not successful at. Uh, How did you go about that? Did you come here? Did you set up a bunch of meetings? Yeah, I. so at first I... When, so for two months, I contact people from Chicago, and then I scheduled a, a two-week um, time in Brazil where I, where I visited mm-hmm. several investors. Uh, but I wasn't able to close anyone. Um, what do you think that is? Two reasons, I think. Uh, so first, the most likely investor to close that doesn't know about the model are investors that know about know that know you mm-hmm. and i personally didn't have investors uh that knew myself right you know i had a few people that i knew that were you know not just not in that category right yet yeah uh, so the other option would be investors that know the model, mm-hmm. and there were none in Brazil. Oh man! So investors I talked with, uh, they were either investors that invested in startups, and in that case they were very um, unaccepting of myself having a salary. Which <laughs> really they yeah. didn't want you to get enough but, to survive. What do you mean you were gonna have a salary? Oh well, yeah. <laughs> huh. Uh, and invest, the other type of investors uh, were private equity investors, and in, and for them, they wanted the opportunity. Like, and so what's the company you you uh, want to buy? And mm-hmm. Well, I don't have it yet. Right. I, I'm raising so I can find it, and that it it, 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 didn't, it didn't get fit it. well with them. So I wasn't able to do that. So I came back to Booth. Uh, a bit frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently I'm not going to be able to raise a search fund. Yeah. Um, and I worked on a plan B with my husband. We recruited. Uh, I got a few offers to work uh, and to go work in U.S. And my husband had an offer to come back to Brazil because my startup was here in Brazil until it 
didn't work. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he was working on transferring his offer. It was for a big consulting firm. So he was transferring his offer to U.S. So we could both be there. Uh, and in the middle of it, we went to Barcelona for a, a, a quarter abroad at ESE. Uh, and there I took a class on search funds. By, by the time Booth didn't have the class in search funds yet, yeah. I was, you know, still uh, yeah, I heard in that love class with the is idea. Very popular amongst the exchange students. That, it is, that yeah. my friend took it recently too. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I considered not taking because you know, I was set on the plan that I would yeah. stay in the US with in my husband. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and we were just waiting for his proposal for his uh, offer, offer. Yeah. Uh, and I was delaying my answer. Um, so it, it lasted one week, that class, and after, in the last day of class, if I were to do a search fund in Brazil, I had four investors. Wait, what? How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it's, it's an amazing story, and I think it was uh, just meant to be. Mm -hmm. I was ready for it. And I just found investors willing to invest, even though I didn't have the Brazilian investors. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the professor took investors to the class and I, I had the opportunity to talk to them and introduce uh, myself. That's great. And uh -huh. tell them my story and why I was there. And all of them, they asked me, so why aren't you doing a search fund? Mm -hmm. And My answer was, well, because I was not able to raise among Brazilian investors, because that was the reality. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in evolving the conversation, they go, well, I would invest. Like, okay. <laughs> so what was different about the, these investors and the ones that you talked to in Brazil? They were very knowledgeable about the model. Mm -hmm. And they just knew... They just they were very comfortable with the model, and they had very clear in, in their mind what a searcher should have or look like. So um, because we didn't talk too much, they 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 had key questions to 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 make, mm -hmm. um, and then they decided. Which well, I mean, it, what we, were some of the key questions? Um. It was a long time ago, but mostly about my background. Okay. Um, but I mean, one investor was just—he just looked at me as like, "Well, you—you're both MBA, you're smart. I would invest." Wow. <laughs> I want. Do you, how many investments did they have in search funds? Because you said that they were already investors uh, so one of my first investors was will thorndike okay he has invested in over 80 search funds over 80 yeah the other investor was uh gerald risk mm. probably around the same number so i think when you do that much investments you just know you know <laughs> well i yeah That's so interesting. Uh, so how did you feel when you had that validation of like, oh, even though Brazilians don't want to give me money, these guys want to give me money? It was, um, it was quite an experience, you know. I remember 
coming back home on Friday, and that was literally my first week in Barcelona. Um, I met my husband, and he just got his offer to uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, honey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a family meeting." <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Yeah, if if I want, if I still want to do a search fund in Brazil, I just got my first four investors, mm-hmm. and, and he was like, "Well," and I got my U.S. offer. But That's a good problem to have, right? It is, and mm. he, and you know, he, um, my husband is one of the big reasons why I was able to successfully raise a fund find a company and buy it. How so? He was supportive all along. So mm-hmm. for example, in that first day, like day zero, and his offer to US, I'll tell you, was much better than the one he had for Brazil. <laughs> Considerably better. He told me, Lisandra, I would rather be married to the Lisandra that tried and did not succeed than with the Lisandra that didn't try and regret it. You, you always wanted to do it. This is your chance. So let's go back to Brazil. Mm-hmm. And again, Brazil at the time was like pre-impeachment. It was, you know, remember like Dilma, I, I remember that. the economy yeah. was crazy, uh, high unemployment. It's the reason why I wanted to leave and go to Kellogg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was chaos. And there we chaos. were, you know, yeah. with uh, two great offers to stay in U.S., having great jobs. And there we were coming back to Brazil. It sounds like you're a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> it felt mm. a bit like it. And I'll tell you that it was quite hard. Uh, the search years are, the, in my opinion, the hardest ones because they are very uncertain. It's uh, very emotional because mm-hmm. unlike a private equity where you're just, you know, making decisions with the other people's money, but you're not going to really run the, the company. Well, in a search fund, it your life it's where you're gonna live because mm-hmm. you move to the city where the company is it's where you're gonna take your family it's where you're gonna spend the next years of your life in that industry and in that company you know with that people that yeah. work in that company so it's all much more um, emotional and intense than usual private equity deal mm-hmm. and you know, doing a deal is very um, uncertain. There, there are thousands of reasons why a deal wouldn't go through. And in Brazil, I would say there are a thousand more because, uh, you know, there's just so much more that could go wrong. Uh, our labor laws are more um, restrictive in the sense that they generate more contingencies in the deal. Okay. Companies here, they are... Uh, they often are less prepared to be sold. So you never know. Up until it work, you think and feel it won't work. <laughs> Interesting. So tell me a little bit more about how you learned to search here. Because unlike uh, search vendors in the U.S., there's not a know-how, there's not a community. Mm-hmm. You're the first one to raise a fund and come here. Uh, what lessons have you learned yeah, so I guess the 
main one is uh, if you don't have already a support system built for you, like it's the case in US, you gotta build one for you fast. Yeah. So I I had my husband and he is um, definitely uh, my uh, hidden partner. Um, although I'm a soul searcher, um, he did a lot of the work and support mm -hmm. that two people fund would would do. But not only that, but uh, I reached out to many U.S. and Mexican searchers. Oh. Uh, so there is a Cala graduate, um, Kelly Bianucci. Oh, yeah. She's the one that I interviewed. We talk mm. once a month. Oh, you do? For over two years now. Wow. And that has been very, very helpful uh, for both of us. Uh, so that's you know one example. The other thing is I learned to be close to my investors, uh, and that you have to read a bit which investors can help you with what and what they can and like, and you know have the what what it's easier for them to help you with, and, and you just read into that and then just use it, you know, and make it very easy for them to help you because they. They want to help you. They just uh, need it to be very structured. Mm -hmm. um, Can you give an example? Yeah. So, for, for example, for several of them, um, I asked for feedback, but it was like a three-line email, and they answered me with a three-line email, and it was just gold. It was just <laughs> what I needed. Okay. So, for example, Will, I'm... Going through five opportunities, trying to figure out what I think of it, here they are, and bullet points of each one. How should I go about it? And then he, answer, he answers, Lisandra, why don't you rate them in three criteria? Current revenue, ROI, and um, industry growth. Interesting. And then, So and, and that was it. And then I ranked them, sent it to him, and then he gave me his uh, piece of feedback on each one he liked or not. So, or they just you know direct you to a CEO of a, a, another company that was acquired that went to the same problem and had a good solution, or a CEO that went to the same problem and uh, it didn't turn out well and then they had to figure out how to, to fix that so in, in that sense reaching out with a, a structured request and then they are very helpful and mm. supportive so because you didn't have any local investor that understood the Brazilian market uh, how do you think that you were able to um, resolve that issue Uh -huh. uh, so I didn't have any Brazilians, but I did have two investors that had a lot of experience in Brazil. Um, so, uh, so Jose and Pushito from QMC are my investors. Oh, yeah. They're uh, CEO of QMC for over seven years now. Um, and Chris Torto from Ascenti has been doing business in Brazil for over 25 oh, years. Wow. Okay. Um, and he's great very knowledgeable uh, he was a, a, another of the investors that didn't have much time but 
the three line email or gold <laughs> was gold yeah that's interesting because i i've heard before that oh you should be really careful of who your investors are because sometimes they they will never give you the time of the day yeah do you feel like you had the support that you needed yeah um and i also think i was um very uh i tried to be selective uh, not to, i tried to be very um conscious of my investor decisions so i asked for referrals i talked to other searchers about their experience with uh, investors who had the time who didn't have what was the best way to communicate with each investor and then i also asked them asked them after they committed so what's the best way for me to interact with you uh how mm, do you prefer to yeah. be uh, approached uh email works or you know 30 minute conversations how how and what what type of advice would you best help me with like uh, sourcing deals or um, when I'm in diligence and with that it made it easier to mm -hmm. uh, direct the requests later on that's interesting um, so can you tell me a little bit more about the differences that you see in doing a search here in the US you mentioned the the support system that you had to create for yourself Mm -hmm. um, what what are some other things that you think are different? Um, I think overall, uh, doing something in Brazil, like starting something in Brazil, even if it's a search fund, it's a lot harder than in US. So it's giving you the example of uh, opening a bank account. It took me a year. Insane. And mm. I mean, it took me a year, several banks, and in one of them, they opened the account and then they closed the account. It was really unbelievable. And I mean, every time I think about the story, it, 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 it's even hard to believe it took that much time. And you can imagine that why it doesn't happen, you know, why you're buried in, you know, lawyers and accountants and banks, you know, you need to be searching and talking to brokers and owners. It's just harder than expected. A lot of bureaucracy. A lot of bureaucracy and one not easy to sort through because not much people have the experience of how to do it. Like you would think that someone would know you know how how it needs to be done right? right and then you just do it all the same way well it doesn't apply like it, the, well one the rules change two if it's another bank doing they would do it differently or if it's another city they would do it differently so no standard there is no standard that's the thing and they the requirements are not the same and they're not written anywhere. So you, you figure out as you go each step, you figure out there is another step and then there is another step. So mm. it can really drive yeah. you crazy. I bet. So Frustrating. And you were able to acquire a company in about two years. After, two and a half, yeah. Two and a half after raising. 
even though there were so many obstacles. Yeah, uh, I think is it I, lo- I lost of- a lot of time oh, you did? Oh. In, the, yeah. in the beginning, just sorting through mm-hmm. this bureaucracy. I think it took me like uh, three to six months to get it going, to get like my deal flow at the speed I wanted, because in okay. the beginning I was spending a considerable amount of my time just trying to get that done. What do you think about the quality of the deal flow here in Brazil? You said that some companies are not even ready to to mm-hmm. be bought and some are think they are and then just the brokers might be unexperienced. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was sourcing deals through three fronts. Um, in the proprietary, so the proprietary front, the intermediary front through brokers and then through networking. Mm-hmm. In the proprietary front, I it's, and you know the timing was also right because um, business owners usually were thinking about selling because mm-hmm. it was a bad time in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I think were people were thinking about leaving, mm-hmm. so they would reply back. But then I I would uh, rule them out by the size of the company. Like mm-hmm. I found too many companies that were just not. Too big small. enough okay. and what were you looking companies, for? sorry what size of company were you looking for at least 15 million reais oh, of revenues mm-hmm. per year mm-hmm. so and small companies have another um, issue in Brazil they are usually at the uh, taxation of simples nacional mm-hmm. which easier to do but also harder to uh, so they were um, so one of my board members told me he had done a field acquisition so far and he had tried to do the the two ways he came in you know strong changing everything from day one and then it didn't work quite well it worked in the end but I mean it was harder and then he tried the second time to go in slowly, mm-hmm. not changing that much, and then getting to know people and talking to every employee, and that made it easier. So I did the same. I spoke to every employee, and so the difference is in US you would talk to each employee in 10 15 minutes, in Brazil it takes an hour. <laughs> <laughs> not surprised. So, so um, it took me three to four weeks to to go through everyone. How many employees do you uh, have here? 42. 42. But it had such a great effect. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, after I was done, I just knew everybody's name, everybody's history, and everybody had had the opportunity to talk to me about what they, what they were afraid about, what they liked in the company, what they would like it to be changed and um, I just felt much closer to them and then to and them to myself mm-hmm. um, the other thing is I came in by myself I didn't I didn't although you know the analyst that worked in the fund with me had already agreed and wanted to come to the company I just allowed him to come two months after I was already here mm. Uh, the same with uh, the sales director I brought in. Even though we were without a sales manager, 
the the guy left the company like a month before I came in, oh. which was you know a big uh, uncertainty right before closing. I didn't bring uh, a, a replacement until I was here one month in because I felt it was important for them not to see, you know, a bunch of new people coming mm -hmm. in and taking over. So it mm -hmm. was just me mm -hmm. and they had time to adjust and accept me. Like uh, I was the newcomer, not not them. Um, and it, 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 it helped me gain their loyalty. So today, I can feel they work for me and they, they come here and they look at me and they like that, you know, they're here working with me. Mm -hmm. I feel that it's already, you know, transitioned. That's awesome. And the seller has a great participation in this. He's super supportive. He also talked to everybody. He's uh, he's still here, uh, coming. He's still coming every day. Every decision that has to be made uh, in the beginning, employees would come to him, and he would direct direct them to myself. Well, you need to talk to Lissandra. He's mm -hmm. the one. She's the one um, deciding now. I don't decide it anymore. Right. Uh, so it it made it easier. Great. Uh, I remember in the beginning of our conversation, you talked about working 16 to 20 hours every day and not feeling very excited about what you were doing. Mm -hmm. How much are you working now and how excited do you feel about coming to work? I don't even know. So it feels like I'm working every time, mm -hmm. every, every hour, because mm -hmm. it's just there, you know, it's just part of your life, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You live and breathe the company and all the things you need to to solve but it doesn't feel like work anymore i mean i i know you know i get tired and i just have to sleep because i'm tired but it doesn't like my mind is not tired anymore like i'm very excited i have never been as happy with my job as i am today um and just you know very happy with my job today and it that's awesome yeah and it's something you know i searched for a long time mm -hmm. more time than i searched for sulab <laughs> <laughs> uh and i think i i finally found it that's great uh so what do you think about your company five years from now what do you envision oh marcella Every time I wake up, I envision a bit more <laughs> because uh, you see, you know, a, a notion of opportunity and the beauty of it is what I learned is the crucial part of the business is the, is the people you are able to motivate mm -hmm. and, you know, bring in, not bring in you know new people but bring in like to work by your side and for you um, and you know the more you do that the more you see that you can do because it just you know things just build build up it, you know in, in, in the first month I thought wow we can grow the this business by you know I, so for example the company last year didn't grow and in my business plan, 
for the first year, I had a 17% growth projected. Up to today, we have an accumulated growth and we are in May 2018. Mm -hmm. We are at 28%. Wow, congratulations. Growth. Thank you. Yeah. Not all me, you know, right. it's just uh, Luciana, my sales director, is doing a great job. And, uh, you know, the managers that were already here are very good at their jobs and they're doing a terrific job as well. Mm. But I mean, I would never put it in a model. Right. You can't, you <laughs> yeah. can't project that. No, I mean, I think yeah. um, when, I think that when things are aligned, mm -hmm. it feels like magic happens you know that's great yeah. uh so to close our interview i want to ask you like one last question uh what advice would you give an mba grad that might be in your shoes or someone that um left school already it's been two years and now it's considering taking the leap and being a rebel leader like you and going against the odds and being like literally like a pathfinder here in Brazil or in other country that perhaps has not such a developed surge fund community. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. When you see that persona, uh, well, do you have any final piece of advice? Yeah, it's a great road and it's very empowering to be able to do that. But it's also a, a hard road to take, especially given all the opportunities uh, an MBA has after graduation and you know the cost of opportunity that increases every year after you graduate so it's a hard decision to to make but I think my advice would be if that roads for you something inside will drive you towards that so in in my case I was not able to turn away from it anymore. It was, it was just something that I had to do. And it has to be the case because it gets very hard before it gets good. Mm -hmm. But again, I mean, it's an incredible road. It's, a, it's such a nice ride, but one that, you know, after the... the 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 hardest parts are past you you are a much better person. much better person after that and you've learned so much and, and then you know so much more and it's just another word another way of seeing things and it's amazing you know how how much more you can be after you you, you do it especially after the first leap because it is a big leap you, you risk a lot when you take the search fund road and right up there when you're about to leap there has to be something that guides you to that leap something that pulls you and some something that pushes you and you know if it's there mm. and you know in my case I had it all planned out in a spreadsheet I had all the numbers there as, you know <laughs> I'm sure every MBA has, you, you have all the numbers down and at the end, the math doesn't really help because your other opportunities are just as good as your search fund road. 
mathematically. So it's never about that. It's never about you know how much money you can make because you can, you would make money anyhow. Mm-hmm. It's just you know the I guess the story you want to tell. Awesome. Thank you.